Welcome to the Idea Pod, a podcast dedicated to exploring and interrogating applied ethics at the University of Leeds. Welcome to the Sex Pod, a podcast series exploring the medical, ethical, and philosophical issues surrounding sex work, with a special focus on sex work during the COVID 19 pandemic. This Sex Pod podcast is being produced in collaboration with Idea Pod podcast. Welcome to the final conclusory episode of the Sex Pod, a podcast which has explored the medical, ethical, and philosophical issues surrounding sex work, especially during the COVID 19 pandemic. I began the podcast by chatting with Bee Piper, a member of the English Collective of Prostitutes, and she gave us a great insight into how sex workers have been affected by the pandemic. She also educated us on her collective stance that sex work should be treated in a similar way to any other type of work, and presented arguments in favour of decriminalising sex work. In episode two, I was fortunate to be joined by Jude, who is the team leader for Nottingham's NHS Sexual Outreach Service, and Karis, who is operations manager at Power Nottingham, a sex worker charity. We discussed the huge reduction in NHS sexual health outreach work during the pandemic, and also how POW, as an independent charity, has adapted to continue providing support during the period of COVID-19. Like B, both Jude and Karis supported the call to decriminalise sex work. The podcast then took a more philosophical turn. In episode three, I spoke to philosopher Professor Scott A. Anderson, who discussed with me some of the arguments he has developed which support the prohibition of sex work and thus contrast with the stance taken by the podcast's previous guests. We discussed Professor Anderson's theory that normalising sex work would likely have the negative effects of exacerbating existing societal power imbalances between men and women and might also undermine the relatively recent progress that has been made in eradicating workplace sexual harassment. In the final episode, I was joined by Dr Anna Weston a philosopher who now also works with victims of human trafficking, especially those who have been involved in sex trafficking. We explored the idea that sex work is often linked with particular harms that is different from other occupations. We also examined the importance of taking a nuanced view of harm and an individualised approach to the possible harms associated with sex work. with the guests of this podcast have challenged me to engage with two of the main issues which arise when discussing the ethics of sex work and the philosophy of selling sex. Firstly, the question of whether sex work is a job like any other or just another type of work. And secondly, whether the possible or actual harms associated with sex work are relevant to the discussion of its ethical permissibility and the moral standing of sex workers and their clients. Something that all the guests of the podcast seemed to be united on was the fact that sex work in the UK, as it currently exists, can be harmful to sex workers. 
Whether this is due to the fact that, as B suggests, the UK's current legislation surrounding sex work does not give sex workers labour rights in the same way it does to other workers in other jobs, or, as Professor Anderson proposes, that the very nature of sex work involving sex as a condition of employment is harmful because it, it undermines sex workers' sexual autonomy and reinforces gender power imbalances. Despite the consensus that some type of harm is associated with sex work, it struck me that it might be important to distinguish whether this harm is internal or external to selling sex. That is to say, does it arise from the actual act of exchanging sex for money or from the associated environmental and societal conditions? It seems to me that any internal harms are much more difficult to prove and identify and much more likely to be unique to individuals than the external harms that might arise from sex work. Consider sex work in the time of COVID. We have heard from B, Jude and Karis that the pandemic exacerbated the challenges sex workers faced and the harms they experienced. There was increased economic hardship made worse by a lack of financial support from the government, which was incidentally afforded to other workers. This in turn increased sex workers' vulnerability to violence and exploitation from clients. They also faced greater barriers to accessing healthcare and other kinds of support during the pandemic. These harms, external to the act of selling sex, seem impossible to deny or debate. Conversely, it seems that the existence of internal harms of sex work, that is, the harms arising from the actual selling of sex, could be, and probably will be, debated by philosophers indefinitely. Therefore, I've come to the conclusion that it seems sensible for legislation, public policy and healthcare interventions to prioritise minimising the actual existing harms facing sex workers and not delay these interventions out of concern for theoretical harms. I'm not suggesting that we dismiss the value of exploring whether selling sex is intrinsically harmful, rather that the very tangible harms facing very real existing people should be prioritised. Perhaps once these harms are addressed, there will be more space for a detailed, in-depth, philosophical exploration of what it means to sell sex for money. This leads me to a very big question. How can legislation and public policy be designed to best protect sex workers' rights and autonomy and safeguard them from the external harms arising from sex work? As I have mentioned, the English Collective of Prostitutes and most other sex workers' activist groups call for the decriminalisation of sex work, as do the majority of healthcare workers who work closely with sex workers. This is something that I do not think can be ignored. Decriminalisation is described by Juno Mack and Molly Smith, who are sex workers, activists and authors. They describe it as a legal model that decriminalises the sex worker, the client and third parties and regulates the sex industry through labour law. It overturns criminal laws, for example soliciting, and administrative or civil orders that punitively target street work, collective work, employed work advertising and so on. It shifts the sale, purchase and facilitation of commercial sex out of the realm of criminal law and into the framework of commercial and labour law.
If minimising the external and societal harms associated with sex work should take priority, as I have suggested it should, then it seems to me that decriminalising sex work is a step in the right direction. We can see this if we return to think about the example of sex work during the COVID-19 pandemic. In New Zealand, where sex work has been decriminalised since 2003, sex workers were much less disproportionately affected by the pandemic compared to sex workers in the UK. Decriminalisation meant they were able to access government-funded financial support, which went some way to, pro to protecting them from the increased vulnerability faced by UK sex workers, as discussed in episodes 1 and 2. Although alternative legislative models, such as the Nordic model, which criminalises the client rather than the sex worker, may be seen to protect sex workers from harm, it seems to me that this form of legislation is working off the assumption that selling sex is intrinsically harmful, which I have suggested is not the principle which should take priority in designing legislation to truly protect and safeguard sex workers' rights and autonomy. discussion with the podcast guests has led me to understand that decriminalising sex work is seen by many as a step in the direction of treating sex work as the same as any other type of work. This seemed to be something that B. Piper hoped for, but Professor Anderson feared. However, I remain unconvinced that decriminalising sex work will normalise it to this extent. Decriminalisation is legislation which protects and prioritises sex workers' rights and reduces the marginalisation of some of the most vulnerable people in society. I believe that this is a long way off a scenario where schoolchildren are presented with sex work as a career option or unemployed people are denied state support before they have tried earning money through sex work. Ultimately, I believe that fear of scenarios such as these coming to fruition does not provide sufficient reason not to prioritise the current needs of sex workers facing very real hardships, for example, those experienced during the pandemic. Thank you for listening to The Sex Pod and joining me on my exploration of sex work. I hope you have found it interesting and have been challenged to think in a different way about the world's oldest profession. The Idea Pod is produced by the Interdisciplinary Ethics Applied Center at the University of Leeds. Find out more at ahc.leeds.ac.uk/ethics. Music composed and conducted by Josh Armitage.